This is going to cost me a fortune, this thing. Believe me. Believe This is not good for me. Yeah. I don't believe you. Surprised? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I have one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ Radio 90.1. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and internet. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Not that the planet needs a blanket at this point. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Although I know a lot of folks on the East Coast and the Midwest and the Southeast may need a blanket right around now. Stay warm, uh, folks, if you can. This cold can't last forever. Can it, Desi Doyen? No, it uh, can't. Well, it can't, but and it's it going to be here for a while. So uh, stay warm out there. I know um, it's terrible. And, um, well, I was going to say I'm glad I'm not there, but that just sounds like I'm rubbing it in. So hang tight, everyone. Uh, in the meantime, of course, everyone in the corporate media uh, is a buzz about the Michael Wolf book Fire and Fury and all the political food fights that are already erupting from it between Donald Trump and Steve Bannon and the many remarkable, if at times, salacious reports coming out of that book, Trump's empty uh, threats to sue the publisher and the reporter and Trump's attempt to keep it from being published at all, which would be an unconstitutional prior restraint issue. So pay no attention to Trump's bluster in that regard. But with all of that, there is a lot going on, including the storm that is slamming the uh, the East Coast. And there is a lot that's going on that the uh, Trump administration continues to do to our country and our citizens that is getting lost in the bargain of the flurry around this fire and fury book. As Vox.com's Matt Iglesias observed in a series of snarky tweets today, he said, wow, according to this juicy section of Michael Wolf's tell-all book, 
Republican foot-dragging on the children's health insurance program reauthorization is jeopardizing millions of kids' health care. Wow, that's a pretty good trick. Yeah, well... Make them think it's about the book so they'll pay attention to some real news. He said, another really dishy thing I found in Wolf's book is that is that systema- systematic rollback of environmental regulations risks huge damage to medium-term public health. Yikes! <laughs> yeah. That wasn't in the book either, I don't believe. Uh, One more, he said, My favorite part of Michael Wolf's book is where he reveals that work requirements for Medicaid will increase hardship on the most vulnerable people in the country. So it was a pretty nifty trick, as you say, Des. Uh, But whether it actually works, whether it actually gets people to realize that uh, we are ignoring a lot of what is going on, what Trump is doing to this country, what Trump and the Republicans, the Republican Congress are doing to this country as we head into midterm elections and as people will need to be informed Uh, as we need to have an educated electorate about what's really going on in 2018, because you think that the Trump administration has been scamming the the nation for the past year? Just wait till what happens in 2018 and Republicans start to get desperate. Now, of course, it's understandable that the book is getting a lot of attention in many respects. After all, Wolf highlighted in a column yesterday about his year inside the White House reporting for this book. He wrote he wrote about the the insiders uh, that he had interviewed at the White House said, and uh, and said, hoping for the best with their personal futures as well as the country's future, depending on it. My indelible impression of talking to them and observing them through much of the first year of his presidency is that they all 100 percent came to believe he was incapable of functioning in his job. Well, yeah, that is important. Uh, And if we had a sane, responsible Congress, they would be investigating that charge and considering whether the 25th Amendment should be invoked at this time to remove Donald Trump from his job. But we don't have... Uh, a sane Congress, at least not yet. Maybe that will change, maybe in 2018, depending on how things go in the midterms, where Trump and the the Republicans may have an ace in the hole. Yes, they seem to be unpopular now, but they may have an ace in a hole, in the hole, as we'll discuss momentarily with my guest, David Dayen, coming up shortly. But there is a lot happening that is getting lost in the madness of this uh, of this book. And, of course, the endless reporting on what special counsel Robert Mueller may or may not know, may or may not be looking at, may or may not be investigating. Speculative reporting. Uh, As Daniel Dale of uh, the Washington Correspondent at Toronto Star tweeted today, with the Wolf Book dominating airtime for obvious reasons, yesterday was one of the most significant, significant policy days of Trump's tenure. He allowed offshore drilling, Dale notes. He opened the door to going after state legal uh, marijuana. He denied aid to Pakistan. And uh, today, by the way, just before airtime, uh, it was announced that he's also cutting off aid to Palestine. He delayed an anti-segregation rule. Many of these things totally lost in in the... uh, in the in the Sturm and Drung drung of uh, fire and fury, I guess. Uh, On that last point, that anti-segregation rule, Kristen Clark, the national lawyer's 
uh, Committee for Civil Rights under the law, uh, president of that group, uh, noted uh, breaking HUD, the uh, agency, what is it? The Housing and Urban Development. Right. HUD suspends rule that requires communities to outline steps that they are taking to promote racial residential integration before they receive federal aid. This sets back efforts to promote fair housing across the country. And this is no small point. And yet it happened yesterday, got completely lost. As the New York Times Upshot blog reports, undermining another Obama-era initiative, the Trump administration plans to delay enforcement of a federal housing rule that requires communities to address patterns of racial residential segregation. The Department of Housing and Urban Development, in a notice published Friday in the Federal Register, says it will suspend until 2020 the requirement that communities analyze their housing segregation and submit plans to reverse it as a condition of receiving billions of federal dollars in block grants and housing aid. The notice tells cities already at work on those detailed plans required by the rule that was put in place under Barack Obama that those those cities, they no longer need to submit that plan. And the department says that it will stop reviewing plans that have already been submitted. Advocates say the notice effectively strangles the federal government's first major commitment in decades to address racial inequality in housing, burying it in calls for more analysts, uh, more analysis and, and more preparation. Well, 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 they're not killing the rule. They're just postponing it for another five years or so. Uh, civil rights uh, advocates say that this is terrible news. With this uh, HUD notice on Friday, Myron Orfield, a law professor at the University of Minnesota, says that this means it is segregate as usual. That's the direction now to these communities. The 2015 rule was imperfect, says Orfield, but it also amounted to the federal government's first major effort to strengthen civil rights around housing since the Lyndon Johnson era. He said residential segregation is at the heart of racial inequality in the country. All of the disparities in the U.S. in education, in income, wealth, employment, health between the races are all fundamentally linked to residential segregation. There's no real way to deal with disparities between black and white people without dealing with this. Seems kind of important. Well, at least the New York Times uh, reported on it, but as the online uh, version of that article notes, uh, a version of this article appears in print on January 4, 2018, on page A18 of the New York Times print edition. That, while countless stories on the food fights between Trump and Bannon and Mueller and everybody else continue to dominate the front page of the New York Times. And, of course, all of the legitimate cable news channels out there. I was flipping through, I was fast forwarding through MSNBC uh, last night. A show after show, every single one, all about the book. Yeah. All about the book, all about the, the Mueller investigation. Not a thing about offshore drilling, which really surprised me. I thought at least MSNBC would cover that. So, no. Uh, instead, it's all about the food fight. None of the things you need to know as we head into 2018. Meanwhile, also buried uh, purposely by the Trump administration, I should say, over the New Year's, uh, New Year's holiday weekend, uh, a whole bunch of other regulations that were gutted while everyone else was enjoying their holidays. 
as we've been trying to report to you over this past week, trying to catch up with it all, even as they uh, got more and more regulations uh, throughout the week. But here's one, uh, an item uh, from the Washington Post. Uh, By the end of September, all cabinet departments except Homeland Security, Veterans Affairs and Interior had fewer permanent staff than when Trump took office back in January of 2017, with most shedding many hundreds of employees. That, according to Lisa Rain and Andrew Batron of The Washington Post over the uh, New Year holiday weekend, the fall-off has been driven by an exodus of civil servants, a diminished core of political appointees, and an effective hiring freeze. The White House is now warning agencies to brace for even deeper cuts in the 2019 budget, that it will announce early uh, early in the year, part of an effort to lower the federal deficit to, wait for it, pay for the new tax cut law. That, according to officials briefed on the, on the budget for their agencies. Federal workers fret that their jobs could be zeroed out amid buyouts and early retirement offers that already have prompted, few, uh, prompted hundreds of their colleagues to leave. According to interviews with some three dozen employees across the government, morale has never been lower, says Tony Reardon, president of the National Treasury Employees Union, which represents 150,000 federal workers at more than 30 federal agencies. One of those agencies crippled by budget cuts, of course, is the IRS. Now, remember, remember that phony IRS scandal? During the Obama administration that Republicans were going on and on about for years, claiming that Obama's IRS was targeting so-called conservative groups, groups that had the word Tea Party in their names, for instance, targeting them for scrutiny when they applied for tax-deductible nonprofit status. Now, at the time, the GOP was pretending that based on an inspector general's report, finding that those groups were often asked to submit additional information when applying for nonprofit status, uh, based on that, the, the GOP went on a years-long witch hunt, claiming that the woman in charge of the nonprofit division of the IRS, Lois Lerner, she was a ringer for the Obama administration. They also went after the head of the IRS, John Koskinen, claiming that he, too, was corrupting the IRS on behalf of Obama. The IRS, the supposedly independent federal executive agency, and he was using it for political purposes to target conservatives. Remember that? Well, funny thing about that. Yes, the IRS was asking right-wing groups for additional information before giving them nonprofit status, as the inspector general had found. But as we told you at the time, years ago, way back in 2013 when this came up, so-called conservative groups appeared to be the only ones targeted because the IG's report was in response to a, a, a request from Republicans in Congress who had asked them to investigate whether conservatives groups had been held up in their application for nonprofit status. In other words, Congress had only asked them to look to see whether these right-wing groups were being held up. Well, yes, they were. But just this past October, finally, a second IG report came out, and guess what it found? Well, a federal watchdog has identified scores of cases in which the Internal Revenue Service targeted liberal-leaning groups for extra scrutiny based on their names or political leanings, a finding that undermines claims that conservatives were unfairly targeted under President Barack Obama. This came out in October in the Washington Post, amongst, uh, amongst other places. 
Not that you necessarily heard about it, because even then, everybody was just going on about Trump. Well, the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration reviewed cases between 2004 and 2013, which includes the, um, includes the period that uh, the IG had previously examined in that 2013 report that faulted the IRS for using inappropriate political criteria to select conservative groups for heightened scrutiny. That earlier report found that 96 groups with names referencing Tea Party or Patriot, for example, were selected for intensive review. Well, the new report that came out in October that didn't get nearly as much coverage, that examined uh, a much broader range of criteria used by the IRS, including names uh, of groups referencing progressive and green energy hmm. and medical marijuana and Occupy. Together, the uh, watchdog identified 146 cases in which the IRS examined groups for suspicion of engaging in disallowed political activity using those criteria. Yes, more progressive left-leaning groups were targeted by the IRS. So it was it was a fake scandal. It was a fake scandal then, as we told you on this show and at Bradblog.com back in 2013, and as the Inspector General's office confirmed in this later report to very little fanfare for some reason. Not sure that Fox News actually found time to cover that part of the story at all after spending years covering the other side. One reason to suspect that Fox News didn't make much mention of the story was because as recently as a week or so ago, in an interview with The New York Times at the very end of December of 2016, Donald Trump, I'm sorry, 2017, just just a week or so ago, Trump was complaining that his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, wasn't protecting him the way previous attorney generals like Barack Obama's AG Eric Holder supposedly protected Obama. Trump said, when you look at the IRS scandal, this was just a week ago, months after the second report came out. When you look at the IRS scandal, when you look at all of the tremendous real problems that the Obama administration had, not made up problems like Russian collusion. These were real problems, Trump said. When you look at the things that they did and Holder protected the president. And I have great respect for that. I'll be honest, said Trump. Of course, there is no actual evidence that Eric Holder protected Barack Obama, as Trump claims. But there's even less evidence that the so-called IRS scandal was real at all. Actually, there's evidence to the contrary. This idea that Obama had ringers on the inside of the IRS making life hell for his political enemies on the right. No evidence whatsoever. That said, now that Trump's in control of appointments to the IRS, I suspect you will be shocked, shocked to learn that he actually has placed a ringer at the top of the otherwise independent agency. And this is not just supposition. It's actually demonstrable that the guy in charge of the IRS also works for the White House at the same time. And that could make a big difference in the way the Republican tax cut that was passed at the end of the year, the way that that is perceived by Americans as we head into the crucial midterm election year of 2018. Investigative financial journalist David Dayan joins us next on the broadcast to explain. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. 
Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Cause I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. Yeah. And the tax man is a ringer. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Florida's Republican Senator Marco Rubio said on Friday before the New Year's holiday weekend and just after he'd voted to pass a tax bill that will cost the American people some one and a half trillion dollars to give huge permanent tax cuts to corporations and the wealthy and much smaller temporary tax cuts to the poor and middle class. Marco Rubio said that he believes the recently passed GOP tax bill did too much to help the bottom line of America's largest corporations. The Florida Republican told the Fort Myers-based news press, quote, I thought we probably went too far on helping corporations. Well, that's a day or two late and a trillion or two dollars short, Senator. By and large, he said, you're going to see a lot of these multinationals buy back shares to drive up the price. Rubio continued, some of them will be forced because they're sitting on historic levels of cash to pay out dividends to shareholders. This isn't going to create dramatic economic growth. Rubio told the paper back home. Nonetheless, Rubio told the news press he was unconcerned about polls that show most Americans disapprove of the legislation, saying the media has unfairly influenced people's opinions. It's all the media's fault. And that ultimate perception of the bill will be based on, quote, what their paycheck is telling them. Meanwhile, over the holiday weekend itself down in Florida, the fireworks scene at Donald Trump's exclusive Mar-a-Lago club on New Year's Eve were paid for by billionaire industrialist David Koch, according to the Palm Beach Daily News, as part of another private party put on by an even more exclusive club nearby Mar-a-Lago. The Koch party was held at the Flagler Mansion, uh, a, a 70, the Flagler Museum, I should say, a 75-room mansion that was built by one of the founders of Standard Oil for his third wife at the turn of the last century. He was the business partner of John D. Rockefeller, who was as big a boogeyman among anti-monopolists back in the 1890s as the Kochs are now on the left. We are living through another Gilded Age, Washington Post's James Homan observes, with growing inequality and a government that is once again tipping the scales in favor of the rich at the expense of the little guy. In September, while seeking support for uh, these massive tax cuts, Trump said, quote, the rich will not be gaining at all with this plan. In November, on the cusp of seeing the bill pass, Donald Trump told his gullible supporters at a rally in St. Charles, Missouri. This is going to cost me a fortune, this thing. Believe me. Believe This is not good for me. Me, it's not. So I have some very wealthy friends. Not so happy with me, but that's okay. You know, I keep hearing Schumer, deuces for the wealthy. Well, if it is, my friends don't know about it. Yeah. Well, they know about it now. Because, of course, uh, those were all lies, 
all of them lies from Donald Trump. That's what he does. Over the New Year's holiday after the bill was passed and Trump had signed it, according to CBS News, Trump boasted to his friends and members of his club at Mar-a-Lago, quote, you all just got a lot richer, unquote. He, of course, was referring to that tax bill that he had signed just hours earlier, which will add more than one trillion dollars to the national debt to line the pockets of the one percenters who can afford the two hundred thousand dollar initiation fee to join Trump's club in the first place. Watch what they do, not what they say. Trump campaigned like a populist. Now, more than ever, he's governing like a plutocrat, says Homan over at The Washington Post. The tax bill, as noted, was and is wildly unpopular with the American public when it was passed by the barest of majorities in the uh, in the U.S. Senate just before Christmas. Polls showed uh, that only about 30 percent of Americans favored the bill, with broad majorities believing it would benefit only the wealthiest Americans though it was much more popular among voters who still identify as Republican. Democrats, meanwhile, seem giddy about running against Trump and the Republican Party and a tax bill that amounts to the largest shift of money from the poor and middle class to the wealthy, likely in American history. That's right. It's a massive redistribution of wealth, which Republicans used to pretend to be against, at least when it was any sort of redistribution of wealth in the other direction from the rich uh, to the poor and the middle class. The political tide is certainly moving toward Democrats, but are they overplaying their confidence in the current lack of popularity? I should underscore the current lack of popularity for the GOP tax bill as the 2018 midterms begin to ramp up. Republicans certainly think so. According to David Dayan at The Nation, uh, before the holidays, Republicans have passed one of the most unpopular pieces of major legislation since the invention of modern polling, day and wrote. But GOP leaders appear thoroughly unconcerned about it, and they're all pointing to a particular date on the calendar for when things will turn around. Americans will see lower taxes beginning in February. President Trump tweeted shortly before final passage of the bill, the plan's popularity will change in February concurred White House Economic Director Gary Cohn. On February 1, Americans are going to see bigger paychecks, said House Speaker Paul Ryan. February is when tax withholding tables would change to reflect the new tax code. Once that formula for estimating what comes of paychecks gets tweaked, Americans will feel richer, spend their windfall, rocket launch the economy and fall to their knees thanking Republicans for the good times ahead. And GOP leaders are weirdly confident about all of this. Why? Asks David Dayan before offering an explanation or two. Well, let's get those explanations directly from our friend David Dayan himself. He is, of course, financial journalist, contributing columnist at The Nation and The Intercept, and a weekly columnist for The New Republic and The Fiscal Times. He's the winner of the Studs and Ida Turkle Prize, author of the critically acclaimed Chain of Title, How Three Ordinary Americans Uncovered Wall Street's Greatest Foreclosure Fraud. David Dayan, Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year to you, Brad. Greatly appreciate you joining us here in the new year. Uh, when we spoke last, I think it was in November, 
before the GOP was able to ram through that tax bill. We had discussed how unpopular it was at the time, that most of the benefits of the bill, uh, in any case, uh, to those who might benefit from it, uh, or the lack of benefits for the bulk of Americans, that that would not become fully apparent to voters until after the 2018 elections, when folks go to file their taxes in 2019. But you noted at the very end of our conversation, as I recall, David, that the one thing that could change that point of view among Americans, uh, a potential ace in the hole, if you will, for Republicans who back this plan, was that the government was going to have to write new withholding schemes, whatever they came up with uh, on for paychecks for 2018. At the, at the time, that was unknown. I think it still largely is what that scheme will be. But as you report at The Nation, the Trump administration may have a trick up their sleeve as the otherwise independent IRS works out this new scheme for how much will or won't come out of uh, come out of paychecks for the American people. What is that scheme? What is that ace in the hole, David? Well, it's the, the IRS commissioner. And uh, the IRS... Uh has been operating without a permanent commissioner since John Koskinen, who uh, people might remember mm-hmm. from the big IRS scandal. The Republicans tried to impeach the guy. Well, his term of office ended uh, sometime in October or November. And the Trump administration replaced him with a temporary appointment, mm-hmm. a guy named David Cotter, who uh, in his previous life at Ernst & Young essentially specialized in helping companies evade taxes, uh, he was named the uh, special assistant for tax policy at the Treasury Department, a political appointee uh, working under Steve Mnuchin. And instead of putting someone up for a vote in the Senate and going through the confirmation process, they just made this guy, Cotter, the uh, IRS commissioner. And there is no... Uh, nobody on the horizon who's set to replace him. So this guy is doing two separate jobs, essentially. He is the uh, assistant secretary for tax policy, which is a position where he was working with members of Congress to put the tax bill forward. Uh, And he's supposed to be the nonpartisan official who is implementing that same policy. And so, you know, when I talked to people about this, they mm-hmm. said, well, I don't know exactly what Cotter could do or could not do with respect to the withholding tables, which, as you mentioned, is really the only way that people are going to really experience this tax bill uh, between now and the midterm election. Uh, the, the, you know, in their taxes for mm-hmm. 2018 that they're you know, doing in April, right. that reflects the 2017 tax year. So uh, that the, the, all of the changes that were made are not going to be in that tax season. It's only the withholding changes that are anticipated mm-hmm. as a result of the tax changes where people will see a difference, and they'll see that difference in their paychecks, uh, allegedly, by the beginning of February. Th- theoretically. Now, i got actually a bunch of questions already to ask you okay. on this, David. Uh, you first, well, you, you referred, I feel like I have to clarify, you referred to the IRS scandal. That was a completely fake scandal, uh, oh, yeah. as yeah, we have later yeah. learned, but I just want to underscore that. All right, so uh, the man in charge of all of this uh, and uh, of the IRS now under acting 
uh, under acting the label of acting commissioner. Yeah, uh, he's working both of these jobs. You note that he was confirmed as the assistant secretary of tax policy for the uh, is that for the White House or the Treasury Department? Treasury Department. In an unusual committee vote in a private room off the Senate floor. Before he was then uh, named as the acting IRS commissioner at the same time. So first, confirmation in a private room off the Senate floor. What does yeah, that mean? Did, How is that possible? They didn't have a hearing. Uh, they they just got together. It, it means what it says. They, there's some kind of room off the Senate floor where senators, maybe even the middle of a vote, huddled into and and took a quick vote on this guy Carter out. out away from view of the public. You know, normally if uh, these uh, committee hearings are held in, in a mm-hmm. public setting, yeah. there, there, there's some sort of record of the vote. In, in this case, they held it in this impromptu ceremony uh, in this private room, and uh, then voila, he is uh, confirmed. And under the Federal Vacancies Reform Act, which uh-huh. is what Trump used, uh, anyone who's confirmed can then be made by the president an acting uh, official head of a, a, a separate federal agency. This is what he's using or purporting to use uh, to, to make Mick Mulvaney right. the head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. It's not it, the legality of that case is in question. There's actually legal uh, proceedings going on right now about mm-hmm. it, but. It's not, it's not really in question with respect to Carter's appointment. Mm-hmm. The question is, what is he going to do with that position? Will he move resources toward uh, you know, making sure that uh, the, the, the assumptions that are made in withholding uh, work to the benefit of ordinary people so they get more money now that they might have to give back in April of 2019 uh, but it'll have the, it'll create the feeling that there is uh, this boost from the tax cut that is illusory, uh, and and that might help Republicans in the midterm. And that, that's that's the working theory anyway. And and the fact that this guy is is an unconfirmed official mm-hmm. who has these connections to Mnuchin, these connections to tax avoidance right. and these connections uh, with, with Trump in terms of loyalty uh, raises these kinds of questions. And because well, as the acting commissioner, of course, he doesn't, of the IRS, he doesn't uh, determine this policy on, on his own. Surely right. there are bean counters and, and other Correct. people. There's only uh, so much money, it seems, that can be cut. I mean, if they... Uh, if, if if this is spread out across uh, paychecks across an entire year, are they able to actually goose it that much uh, well, on the paychecks? Well, that's question, right? And it's an inexact science. I mean, when you're trying to figure out withholding, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I mean, those in the audience who get their, their, their paychecks and withholding uh, every year know that uh, usually you end up, they end up overcompensating. You usually get a refund. About right. 80% of people get a refund. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, some of it is based on the law, and some of it is sort of based on art. They kind of have to assume, okay, you might take these deductions, or you might have, if you have these, this amount of members of your family, this amount of dependents, you uh, will we'll give you back this much money. It's, 
it's science, but it's also there's a lot of art to it. And so there's 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 wiggle room in there. In terms of how much that would uh, have an effect and whether people will notice it, I mean, we have some recent uh, kind of studies of this, mm-hmm. so sort of a natural study of it, in uh, 2009. The Obama administration, for the stimulus, created this thing called the Making Work Pay Tax Credit. Mm-hmm. And it was a $400 tax credit that went to every man, woman, and child. And the way that they did it is through withholding. They, through your you know, 52 weekly paychecks on the year, they goosed it by a little bit, and, uh, you know, it added up to $400. Now, when they asked people afterward, did Obama give you a tax cut, the vast majority of people said no. Right. <laughs> they did not notice uh, that there were a few more dollars, and that was actually by design. Uh, the, the design was that if people got a check they would put it in the bank. But mm-hmm. if people got a few more dollars in withholding, they would spend it, and the economy would uh, have a boost uh, as a result. So there are two things here. The question of, you know, are people going to notice if they have bigger paychecks? I think, uh, you know, the, the conservative media machine will be sure that people notice. They're already touting every year-end bonus that companies are doing in this kind of uh, you know, PR machine right. to, to, to put forward. That's number one. Number two is, will it induce more economic activity? Right? And, and if it does, then if the economy is better, we know that there's a correlation between economic performance and uh, electoral outcome mm-hmm. for the party in power. So there, there's kind of two options here in terms of why I, I'm not sure that this is going to necessarily be a big victory uh, if they manage to pull this off, and it would seriously piss people off if, if in 2019 they they all find out that uh, oh by the way you were you were getting money from the government that was fake and we're taking it all back now uh, that that certainly would would make people angry, but of course that would be in 2019 and. and you know, after uh, after the damage after of the 2018 election. Yeah, so you're right. saying that they could actually goose this in such a way to make it look a lot better. I mean, because in truth, if if I at least understand the numbers for most Americans, even if uh, this, this tax cut is built into their uh, paychecks right. through withholding, it's not a lot of money. Uh, four or five bucks a week or something like that, $10 right. a week. I mean, Probably it's... Probably a little more than that, but yeah? it's, it's not a huge amount. I okay. mean, you're, you're talking maybe $1,000, maybe less. I mean, it depends on what they do. And as I say, it's a little bit of uh, art rather than science yeah. in terms of how withholding really works out. Uh, the bigger problem is going to be, uh, in the short term, is going to be how to actually implement this thing at all. Uh, the way it works now, you get your W-2 form, mm-hmm. and uh, you write down how many dependents do you have in your, in your, in your family. Right. Uh, that's because that correlates with a thing called the personal exemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that personal exemption for every member of your family. That's gone now. And in its place, there's this thing called the standard deduction. But that doesn't really, that's not really dependent on how many children you have. There's a new child tax credit, yeah. but that not everybody can take that. So the upshot of this is that every single wage earner is going to have to fill out another one of these forms. And the IRS has to figure out how to write that form in such a way that uh, 
you, they get enough information to know how much money to take out of your paycheck. It is a logistical nightmare. And the idea that this is going to be done in a matter of a few weeks is an open question, uh, especially given, you know, the lack of attention to detail that we've seen out of the Trump administration uh, in all aspects uh, over the last year. So that's actually another interesting uh, sidelight to this, is that you could see sort of healthcare.gov 2.0 in terms of the administration of this thing in the early going. Uh, where people don't get the change in their paychecks at all because nobody knows how to implement this 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 scheme. Yeah, because it seems actually if since they're doing away with the the number of dependents on that form, that would actually mean more money would be withheld. You know, if you if you uh, don't include the uh, the personal exemptions, leaving Americans with a smaller, not a larger paycheck when this new scheme begins. out how the standard deduction, which is doubled, how that correlates to the, the loss of the personal exemption. It's kind of a one-to-one relationship, but it's not exactly. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's just the question of how they're going to pull this off. And when there's this, uh, all this question that even people who are experienced and career officials don't really know how to figure it out, there's opportunity for mischief there, right? Well, <laughs> there's, sure. there's the opportunity to get this wrong, but to get it wrong in such a way that people see bigger paychecks uh, rather than smaller ones. And we've had uh, huge cuts in uh, budget for the IRS over yep. the, the uh, almost the past decade, so yep. th- their staffing is down to be able to even figure this out. You've right. got uh, Cotter with this... What seems to me to be a blatant conflict of interest, both working for the uh, for the White House and the IRS, which is supposed to be an independent agency. That's what Republicans were pretending wasn't the case with Lois Lerner and John Koskinen and all that. Uh, And then. Yeah, just just briefly, what I think we do know about what Carter is going to do is he's going to emphasize this, you know, figuring out withholding thing well beyond uh, figuring out audits. There's going to be a lot less audits, particularly a lot less audits of rich people mm. going into the next year. This is this guy's bread and butter at Ernst & Young, the yeah. auditing uh, firm, was to figure out how to uh, uh, allow companies to avoid taxes. And, and you're just going to see a lot more of that. That's what he did. Uh, That's what he did before he worked yeah, for the government. He, he was working for Ernst & Young. Trying to get in, and they got did. Where yeah. members of Ernst and Young actually went to jail for their role in this scheme uh, to avoid taxes. That Cotter was running when he was in the private sector, and That's now right. he's running the IRS. That's right. What could possibly go wrong here? The withholding scheme, by the way, that is not mandated, is it, in the tax bill itself? They could wait. They don't have they to do this in could February, wait an right? Entire year if they wanted to, but the IRS, before the bill passed, put out a statement saying that they will get this ready. And, and you listed all of the quotes from Gary Cohn and Paul Ryan. I mean, they're really relying on this. They're saying, well, just you wait and see, America. Wait until February, and, and all of your, your questions about the tax bill will be, will be answered by your, your huge gain in your paycheck. So there's tons of pressure, both from the White House and from Congress, to get this done. 
Yeah, and when I when I read those quotes, of course, it occurs to me that either they know something that we do not, or right. they're just huge, incredible liars, uh, which right. we also know them to be. True. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's no way to know which one. I guess we'll have to wait to, to February and find out. We had uh, I interviewed a couple of weeks ago on the show Spencer Piston. Uh, he was making the case. Um, that I guess is described in his upcoming book. He, he wrote an article with Sean McElwee, I think it was over at The Nation, as a matter of fact, that resentment of the rich, uh, contrary to conventional wisdom, uh, which says that you know Americans want to be rich, they want to be like the rich someday, so therefore they don't resent them, uh, that that is actually... Uh, not true, that Americans do resent the rich and that it could be a galvanizing political idea for 2018 to run against the rich. We hear all of this conversation now about a new Gilded Age. Should Dems be running against the rich, even if it might harm uh, their funding with the donor class uh, in 2018, David? Well, I think I think that ship has sailed. I mean, uh, if you look at all the messaging that uh, Democrats put forward on this tax bill, it was about fairness. It was about the fact that, that all of the gains or, or the vast majority of the gains in the bill were going to the wealthy uh, and, and large corporations rather than ordinary people. So I, I, think, I think Democrats have internalized that, that, that idea to a certain degree. And, and by the way, this is another way in which the IRS commissioner can gum up the works here uh, you know, there's, there's simply lots and lots of data that the IRS puts out uh, to, you know, reinforce this idea of, of who's benefiting from the tax bill and who mm-hmm. isn't, and they don't have mm-hmm. to do it, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we might not get the information about after-tax income and effective tax rates. Uh, you know, it just might be the entire country uh, is in, in the position of 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 you know Donald Trump's tax returns, <laughs> they they'll just withhold the information. Uh, so you know that then then we won't get a good sense of the winners and losers from the tax bill necessarily. Uh, at least you know in in the first several months until Freedom right. Information Act requests go out and things like that. So uh, that that could be another way in which uh, this particular uh, IRS commissioner puts his thumb on the scale. Unbelievable. Uh, last uh, thought here, David Dayan. Uh, might we expect? Uh, well, wh- I'm wondering if you know if whistleblowers will come out of this, seeing how they're uh, you know putting these formulas together. Uh, you know, if the scheme for withholding is truly gamed, or ultimately, can they simply do whatever they want here? Is there Really, nothing, well, you know, no, I mean, no laws that would be violated if they just made a scheme that worked out great this year no for law Americans. On withholding, like, to the degree of mm-hmm. you did withholding wrong and you right. have to do it again. I, I, I don't know what that law would look like. Right. I think we're going to know uh, by the virtue of, of the vast majority of people who make money in this country and, and how much they earn, they're going to know if their paychecks go up or down. Uh, after after February or whenever they finish this thing, so uh, there's there's going to be a sense of it. Uh, whether people come out and say this, they're doing it wrong or they're doing it correctly, uh, you know, I don't know really. Uh, but you know, the larger question that you raise about a conflict of interest uh, is one that is not limited to the 
IRS. I mean, there, there are multiple cases mm-hmm. of these acting officials or temporary officials or even permanent ones who have been put in who have extreme conflicts of interest who used to regulate the or used to work in the businesses that they regulate or uh, who are ideologically opposed to the mission of the department that they're heading uh, or that they have personal ties to the president himself. So uh, this is a teachable moment, I think, uh, to, to put this, this example of Cotter out there as uh, an example of how the, the Trump administration is really running the government. There was a Bloomberg editorial about this, about how uh, you, you can't run the government with these temps. Congress has a role to play here. And uh, continuing to have these acting officials, and uh, there's a time limit, supposed to be a time limit on when you can have a temporary or acting official there. And, and the way that the Trump administration has gotten around that is that they've removed the word acting yeah. from the title. So uh, th- th- this is something that I think is a larger uh, issue that we're going to see in the next weeks and months, and, and, and we certainly could see uh, a lot of interest in that. Uh, it just happens to be uh, that there's another one of these type of, uh, you know, conflicted temporary employees who is implementing the only major legislative achievement of the Trump era. How the Trump administration could game paychecks to win support for the tax bill. That's uh, from David Dayan over at The Nation just before the turn of the new year. Check that out. And, David, I'm out of time, but I'm sure we'll uh, be talking about this in the future. Uh, you've got the cover story this month at uh, The American Prospect. Uh, can you g- give us the 15-second uh, elevator pitch to send people over there? Briefly. It's several thousand words, but in 15 that's all. seconds or less. Yeah, that's all I ask. The- the tech companies. And uh, you talk about the new Gilded Age. I mean, if it's the new Gilded Age, we have uh, the new standard oils are are Google, Facebook, and Amazon. And and this story really looks at the people who are doing the leading edge work in figuring out how to deal with the problems created by these massive tech companies who hold wealth and power in fewer and fewer hands. And so it's really a study of how we can tame Welcome to the Gilded Age. David Dayan uh, can be found on the Twitters at DDayan, and you can find links to all of his work at davidayan.tumblr.com. Going to be a very busy year for you, I suspect, David. Really appreciate you joining us. I suspect we will talk to you very soon. All right. Onward. Happy New Year. Thank you, brother. Okay, speaking of problems created by giant unaccountable companies, a quick break, and we are back with uh, some news on um, Superfund cleanup sites. I'll explain after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. It's time to clean up. It's time to clean up. Yes. Clean 
Yes, it certainly is. Uh, it's been time to clean up for uh, many decades at this point. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. In fact, there are more than 1,300 Superfund sites on the EPA's national priorities list that need to be cleaned up. They are at various stages in the cleanup process. And sites are routinely added to or deleted from that list each year. Desi Doyen, can you quickly explain what a Superfund site is for those who may not know? Yes, Superfund sites are the most polluted sites in the United States that are have been deemed to be beyond the capabilities of local and state governments to deal with. So like sta- uh, uh, companies, big oil companies, Oil companies, mining companies. companies, a lot of abandoned mines, a lot of abandoned old factories where they dumped, oh, dry clean cleaning chemicals into the ground on the waterways, stuff like that. And they just go out of business instead they, of cleaning it up, right. and we're stuck with it. We're, the, the government is stuck with the bill. The American taxpayer is stuck with the bill. Turns out bankruptcy is a fantastic way to shed all of your liabilities. All right. So here is why it is so difficult, among other reasons, to report on the Trump administration, because everything, and I mean everything that they report, everything that they say, You know, even just standard statements of what should be facts. Everything they say is a lie or an obfuscation or covering up something. And so even straightforward statements from them have to be scrutinized to figure out what the actual truth is about such statements. So this from uh, from AP today, the Environmental Protection Agency is touting cleanups at seven of the nation's most polluted places as a signature accomplishment in the Trump administration's effort to reduce the number of Superfund sites. Well, that sounds good. They got seven cleaned up, taken off the list in their first year of office. But AP goes on to note that records show that the physical work was actually completed before Donald Trump even took office. The agency several days ago credited the leadership of uh, of the EPA, uh, the leadership of EPA administrator Scott Pruitt credited him with tripling the number of sites fully or partially removed from the Superfund national priorities list in 2017, compared with just two sites taken off the list in the Obama administration's last year of office. Pruitt said, we have made it a priority to get these sites cleaned up faster and in the right way. The Superfund program is carrying out the agency's mission of protecting human health and the environment more and more every day. Oh, man. He's talking about the EPA. Yeah. Um, which, Des, you have been reporting over that same past year how the EPA has just been gutting one regulation after another that is meant to uh, protect human health and the environment, as uh, Pruitt yeah, pretends Yeah, he's been here. gutting public health regulations right and left. Now, cleanup of Superfund sites usually takes decades. The AP notes it spans presidential administrations as they work on these sites. And an analysis of EPA records by the Associated Press shows that overall the seven Superfund sites that were delisted, that, de- that were delisted last year fell short of the average pace set under both the administrations of Barack Obama and even George W. Bush in their opening years. All told, EPA averaged delisting more than 10 sites a year under the eight years uh, that Obama was in the White House. 
EPA under Bush uh, delisted nearly 18 sites on average annually during his two terms. Still, the EPA said that uh, Pruitt's initiative had resulted in significant improvement. Records show that construction work at all seven sites that have been hyped by Pruitt's EPA, such as removing soil or drilling wells to suck out contaminated groundwater, all of that work was completed years before Pruitt was confirmed as the agency's chief back in uh, February of 2017. Removing sites from the list is just a procedural step. In other words, they were just doing the paperwork. All the actual work had been done. And then the procedural step that occurs after monitoring uh, data uh, show that remaining levels of harmful contaminants meets cleanup targets, which were often set by EPA decades ago. Once that happens, then they then they delist them. Yeah. And so like Trump, Pruitt and the Pruitt's EPA are taking credit for stuff that they didn't actually do anything to to achieve. And, you know, this is what has happened with the EPA. It has turned into a public relations outfit promoting Scott Pruitt. Yeah, it has. I mean, not only are they taking credit for what was done, they're taking credit for speeding up what was previously done when they sped up nothing. Uh, Entries in the U.S. Federal Register showed that the EPA announced its move to withdraw four of the seven sites back in 2016, back before they were even in office. The planned deletion of two other sites were announced prior to Pruitt's May uh, directive establishing the Superfund task force that he has claimed. Notice of the EPA's intent to remove the last of the seven sites finally happened in August of last year. A former EPA official said the agency's work was underway before Pruitt acted. Phyllis Anderson, former associate director of the EPA division that manages Superfund cleanup, said the agency was already doing what's in the task force report that Scott Pruitt takes credit for. Donald Trump's proposed budget, furthermore, seeks to cut the Superfund program by some 30 percent. Pruitt says... Doesn't matter. He will accomplish more with less money through better management. Yeah, right. Good luck at that. He has put some guy uh, who used to run banks in charge of Superfund cleanup at this point. Guy who has absolutely no uh, no environmental experience, experience whatsoever at all. Right. Oh man. Onward we go. My thanks to our producer Desi Doyen, to my guest today, David Dayan of The Nation, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is, as ever, greatly appreciated. You can download our uh, broadcasts anytime for free at bradblog.com. I thank those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate uh, who have signed up recently for a subscription of any amount you like to help us continue to do what we try to do every day, independent reporting over your public airwaves um you can drop me email i'm bradcast at bradblog.com and find follow and share us worldwide on the facebooks and the twitters at the brad blog that's it until we meet again i'm brad friedman good luck world